Hey everyone, welcome to Unrefined Women. I am your co-host Agnes. And I'm Margaret. This podcast is an ongoing dialogue between two sisters on the topics of spirituality, religious trauma, family dynamics, mental health, and feminism. We're very grateful you could join us today. This week's episode, we took a history route. Today is like history class for everyone. Um, as some of you know, I'm in college right now, so I've been taking a history class and Margaret through her college experiences has done a lot of, uh, research and just done read a real, like a lot of really cool books about, um, the stuff we're going to talk about today, which is, um, colonization, religious colonization in America. So bringing a little bit of like that, that religious trauma and impact that we definitely like to dig into while also um, looking at the the foundation of America as fucked up as it was and uh, how it affected slavery and the Native Americans. Yeah, so like we're talking about colonization today and the practice of colonialism, but mainly we're targeting how religion and religious institutions and ministers during the early days of the founding of America played a really key and important role, both in like creating these different theories um, that justified um, like genocide and slavery um, and that was kind of like the bedrock of creating what we have now and committing all these horrific crimes against humanity that have occurred so in this episode we had some big amount like large amounts of homework that we had to do so uh, I know Margaret went back and uh, found some books some good information from her college and then for me, I've been learning a lot of this stuff this week specifically. So uh, we looked up some articles and read a bunch, read on a bunch of stuff. So definitely check out the show notes uh, for all the links and uh, sources of the stuff that we shared in case you ever want to go back and refer to whatever we said, because there's a lot of uh, little, little details of like facts and stuff. So make sure you check that out. Today we're talking about religious colonization in America. Agnes was the driving force behind recording this episode because, you know, she is thick in, what's the, what is it? You're like in the deep of school right now. I'm not using Mm -hmm. the right words, but you're like in that study mode and you are taking some history classes right now. So this is right up your alley. I had to dust off some books and do a little bit of research. But um, that that is our little disclosure, just starting off, like you and I are two white women and we're talking about colonization and particularly around how religion played a role in colonization. So we are not experts at all. This is just us doing some research and sharing sources, which we are going to link in our show notes. And we highly recommend if you want to use any of the information that we're sharing in some sort of argument or you want to use this information to like relay it in some way, please, please, please do your own personal research. Cause I don't want anyone to be like, well, I heard it on unrefined women podcast. Cause we're not, <laughs> I mean, you can say that, but we're not scholars. Like I'm in my first year of college, you know, Margaret, you know, is hasn't gotten her degree yet. So it's like, we're still beginning. This is our own personal research. Oh, and also history is just, like people think that history is history and what's in the textbook is true absolutely not true and I all the articles and resources that we found who knows that that's completely false you know especially because we're going to talk about like slavery and um, Native Americans and a lot of that history was oral history and the information that we're reading on history.com and etc is not going to be the same as the true oral history of the situation what what really happened yeah exactly and I think that like when you talk about history like there's so many groups of people that have different perspectives on what happened Um, Mm -hmm. like most history books like what Agnes what you and I grew up with most history books were 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 told turd (laughs) were told It was a a turd. Those history books were a turd. They were told from like the European white man's perspective. Yeah. Which is going to be totally different when you hear 
historical uh, recollections from indigenous people um, or people that were enslaved. So that I think is very, very important to note. And history is just, it's so nuanced and there's so much there. I think something else too, that I noticed because um, a couple years ago, I read this really fantastic book called cast the origins of our discontent by Isabel Wilkerson. And it was basically comparing the racial system, like, the like racism and white supremacy here in America to the caste system in India. And it was, it was really phenomenally done. I mean, the author is a journalist and and she did a great job, did a lot of research. I think she actually spent like 10 years on the book too. So it's deep, but something that I really loved about the book was that she did a lot of research, but a lot of her research was also gathering like real stories from people. So a lot of history is like I have found is very sterile, right? It's like this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And then like you, it doesn't really give like, there's no emotion behind it. It's just Mm -hmm. this sort of like black and white, um, like his, like, like recollection of historical events. But in the book cast, she actually goes into the stories and it's like, this happened and these people went through these experiences and they experienced these emotions and these traumas. It really like put a human, the human element back into history. So there's always that. I think history often misses that. We often miss the storytelling aspect and the human experience. That's like saying, I remember in high school, they would ask like a question, what was the root cause of World War II? Like, I don't know. There were so many different things. And um, as well, in this episode, I want to talk about King Philip's War. And from one source, it's talking about this is how this is why it happened. And then another source is saying this. It was something completely unrelated. So it's it's so nuanced. Like you said, like there's just so much diversity and territory, I guess that, that explains why things happened. And with how many billions of people on this planet, there's a million reasons why one small event could, could have happened. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start off with a couple of definitions. Um, when I was doing some research, I was like, wait a second, what's the difference between colonization and colonialism? (laughs) They're actually pretty close. So our first definition, and these are from Oxford Dictionary, is colonization. And the definition of colonization is the action or process of settling among and establishing control over the indigenous people of an area. And then the definition of colonialism is the policy or practice of acquiring full or partial political control over another country, occupying it with settlers and exploiting it economically. So a couple of definitions there. So we will be probably using both of those definitions throughout today's episode. Um, But again, most of our, uh, most of what we're going to be doing is coming from the perspective of here's the, here's the role that religion played in all of this. All right. So starting off, um, we're going to be talking a little bit about how religion was used when it came to justifying the invasion of Africa and enslaving the people there and then bringing them here to the United States um, back before it was the United States. So I dusted off the book called Stamped from the Beginning by Ibram X. Kendi. It is a phenomenal book. Uh, I will I will admit I have not read the whole thing. It is very, very large, and there is a lot of content. I've been kind of slowly reading it over the last couple of years, and it's definitely one of those books where I read it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this, I mean, it's like a history book. I'm like, I should have read this as a a kid. Like, it's got all these different people and dates of things that happen. So we're going to go all the way back to 1635. So back in 1635, there was a Puritan minister um, by the name of Richard Mather, and he had come over on a ship from Britain and was landing in New uh, New England with a bunch of other uh, people that were coming over. And these Puritans, they believed that they were God's chosen piece of humanity and they were special and superior and that basically New England was to be their new Israel. 
And so going back even a little bit further, St. Paul introduced in the first century this three-tiered hierarchy of slave relations. He believed that there was a heavenly master, an earthly master, and the enslaved. And really this sort of hierarchy and this three-tiered hierarchy that St. Paul introduced was kind of used as a groundwork um, within religions as a way to justify um, like invasion of countries and slavery. On top of that, we have Aristotle's theories, which Agnes, I don't know if you know, but so much of Aristotle's stuff is like very problematic now. <laughs> you took a philosophy class, right? I did, but we didn't, we kind of just touched on like the basics of him. Why? I, actually, I've never heard this. What's so mm-hmm. problematic about Aristotle? So Aristotle was actually like very pro-slavery. Okay. And I had to take a class, uh, a philosophy class when I was in school. And there was this book that I read. I think it's called Justice. I can't remember the, like the exact, who's the author? That was a good book. I'll have to link that too in the show notes. But um, Aristotle was actually very pro-slavery. And so Aristotle, he had these different theories. The first was that enslaved people were incapable of reasoning, and it was basically in their nature to be enslaved. Um, He also had this like climate theory that basically like hot and cold climates can infect the or affect the intelligence, physical appearance and morality of people. (laughs) So back in that time, it was believed that people from like Europe, which are colder regions, they were naturally just more intellectual, like intellectually superior. Um, And they also believed that they had better moral standards and that, you know, people that were white and had like lighter hair and blue eyes, like the typical European characteristics like that, which kind of still is, was like the epitome of what beauty is. And so as they went further south into countries like Africa, where you had these hot climates, they believed that the heat actually made people stupid and like animal-like and that it was in those people's best interest to be enslaved. I fucking can't because what does that mean about Jesus who lived in Egypt like his whole childhood or however long? (laughs) Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, there's some fucked up shit going on here. White people, I can't. I fucking can't. (laughs) Okay. But okay, but remember, you also had people like Michelangelo that were like painting pictures of Jesus as a white man. Mm -hmm. So there's that whole thing, too. In denial. You know. (laughs) Right. So, okay, so you have St. Paul and you have Aristotle, which back in this time were being used heavily by Christians and Puritans to justify slavery and colonization. They actually believed that it was good and holy and that God ordained it. So, yeah. So there was an enslavement theory that was derived from Genesis nine eighteen through 29, and w- which says that black people were the children of Ham, the son of Noah, and that they were singled out to be black as the result of Noah's curse, which produced hands, or see, which produced hands color in the slavery God inflicted upon his descendants. And this was believed to have been stated by like a Persian, this Persian scholar named Tabari in like the year, sometime between the years like 18 or 800 and 900. So have you heard of this, like this whole enslavement theory before? You heard about Um, Ham and Noah and all that? I haven't heard that, but I have heard of like similar concepts. Um, When I was in high school taking like a history class, uh, like religion slash history class, they used to try to justify... um, not not justify slavery, but justify that the Catholic Church was against slavery. And it was like this whole, I know, <laughs> it was this like whole like several weeks where we learned about, I, I, I seriously did not do my homework on this, but um, like this, I, I guess like which popes were like trying to ban slavery or ban Catholics from owning slaves and it was just like this whole thing that now I can probably research and find out is total totally full of shit so (laughs) continue (laughs) yeah so this was being used like quite a bit and um 
so there was kind of this like weird place during this time, like in the 1600s, you know, 1500s and 1600s, where there was people that were that were religious that were basically using this whole thing around like, oh, black people are descendants of Ham, who was the son of Noah. Um, but then there was also still lingering from Aristotle the whole climate theory about people were either intelligent or not intelligent or moral or not moral based on where they lived. But there was an English travel writer named George Best, and he traveled around 1577. And when he was traveling, he was able to kind of just witness from his own experience that climate theory didn't really work out. It, didn't, it wasn't actually true. So he then created what's called the Holy Scripture or the curse theory, which kind of was building on that, which believed that on the ark, Noah ordered his white and angel-like sons to abstain from sex and that the firstborn child after the flood would inherit the earth. However, he had an evil and hypersexual son named Ham who did have sex on the ark and God willed that Ham's descendants would be black and loathsome. And that they would remain a spectacle of disobedience to all of the world. So that was their theory. They believed that people from Africa were descendants of Ham and were therefore all cursed. I'm seriously and like evil and immoral. On how stupid I you know. are. That makes no. And here we are again demonizing sex. Like, why is that such a huge background thing when all of these men in history? had like a whole line of their prostitutes or whatever that they would regularly sleep with. Like, have you seen all Mm -hmm. these historical, like read all these books and heard about all these people where they were just like having sex with all these prostitutes and all these quote unquote whores. I can't. (laughs) I know. Right. So this kind of leads me to just some of my own thoughts, because I've heard this before. I mean, obviously, from reading Ibram X. Kendi's book and then from just in the past doing other other reading as well. But this whole concept of, you know, how people from Africa, they say are descendants of Ham and they're black because they're cursed. But it makes me think so much about growing up Catholic and like the color of our souls, do you remember mm, this? Yeah. If you're good, the color of your soul is white. And then if you're bad, the color of your soul is black. And I just cannot help but wonder if that whole thing of the color of your soul is like roped into, is it's like a leftover fragment from the enslavement theories. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, it's super, I don't know. I That's just my own speculation. But I think that was very problematic because later on when you had slavery, um, like when people were here in America and they had enslaved people, um, there was then this whole push of or this whole conversation of now we have the enslaved people. Are we going to Christianize them? Are we going to make their souls white? So, yeah, that's a whole other thing. So anyway... Continuing on, um, I'm going to completely butcher this person's name. Richard Hakalut? I don't know. Something like that. He was a writer and an Anglican minister, and he was really influential in promoting English colonization in North America. And he argued that explorers, traders, and missionaries must fulfill their superior destiny to civilize, Christianize, capitalize, and command the world. So look at that. You have like colonization, Christianity, and capitalism, like boom, all together. Um, So some of the folks focused on how colonization would provide economic economic returns and political power, but the Puritans specifically were more interested in like colonizing as a way to bring about social order. So then they, you know, obviously, as we know, invade Africa, start bringing people here to America. Then we have all of these Christian slave owners here in the United States. And then it brought about this whole dilemma around do we Christianize enslaved people? The thing is, is that there was English law that said Christians cannot be enslaved. But there were certain folks like Minister Cotton Mather who believed that it was the Christian duty to make the African people Christian. So there was a lot of confusion. Like when we if we make people from Africa Christian and they're enslaved, can we still like can we still keep them enslaved if they're Christian? And so Cotton Mather was saying that slavery should be used as a method to save the black soul. So then in order to like make this all work, they had to then create laws so that enslaved people could be made Christian, but not be freed. 
So in 1667, Virginia decreed that baptism does not alter the condition of the person as to his bondage. So that then paved the way for them to be able to make their slaves become Christian, but they still were able to keep them enslaved and like not feel bad about it. There we have another example of people thinking that if something along with religion and their wants doesn't line up, they could just write up a cute little law to make it okay. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I yeah. So anyway, that's some of the research I found. And all of that was from Ibram X. Kendi's book, Stamp from the Beginning. Um, I do have one other source um, that I looked up to get some additional information, just kind of touching on this. Um, and this article is called The Philosophy of Colonial or Colonialism, Civilization, Christianity, and Commerce. And the article just talks about how Christianity was one justification that European powers used to go in and colonize and exploit Africa. Um, and then Christianity was also this guise that was being used uh, through West or with from Western governments to be able to uh, justify the exploitation and conquest of African nations. They because like religious practices in Africa were so foreign to them, they just automatically deemed them as witchcraft and heathenism. And European nations and specifically Christian missionaries believed that it was their mission to go into countries like Africa and try to save these, the souls of quote unquote savages. And they believed that these people were naturally savages because they had not seen the light of God or heaven yet. So that was like their justification to essentially go in and like try to wipe out their culture and enslave all the people. So, yeah. It's interesting because if you look at the definition of like savages or what it means to be like something that's like violent and inhumane, well, that's the exact definition of what they're doing by owning slaves or hosting their missionaries or whatever they're doing because they were killing these people or going to war. And again, what we're going to talk about in a little bit with the Native Americans, like slaughtering entire races and communities and tribes and families, children and women, because God allows it. Yet they want to go colonize another country because they believe that the that the people of the country are savages because they haven't seen the light of God. Well, apparently their mm -hmm. quote unquote light of God didn't seem to work very well because they were horrible. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you know who was in Europe who was um, having a fit about some of this stuff and was sent to exile because of it, it was Karl Marx. Oh, yeah. So... Yeah, because so Karl Marx, you know, he believed and this is actually from I don't know if you do you ever see like the crash course videos on YouTube. I had to watch so many of them in school. Um, I, I do. Called but crash I, I, I'm not sure if I've seen the one that you're going to refer to, but I, I watch them all the time, especially for philosophy. Okay, yeah. So for like philosophy and sociology, I usually see those. So this yeah. one, it's a crash course video on YouTube. I'll link it. It's on religion, um, like the intersection of religion and sociology. And this is episode 39 from their YouTube series. But um, in Crash Course, they were talking about how Karl Marx called religion the opioid of the masses because he saw how within the scope of conflict theory and conflict theory is basically like social change comes about through conflict. He found that the elites were using religion as a way to justify their wealth and power because they believed that if you had a lot of power and a lot of wealth, it was a sign that you were in good grace with God. And they believed that inequality was all part of God's plan. So if you're being oppressed and you're suffering, it's all part of God's plan. And you're not supposed to fight back or resist it, or resist it because like, you're obviously paying for something. Um, you've done something wrong and you're paying for it. And this is like your karma, I guess. Um, or this is part of some like divine plan. So you can't resist it because then you're messing with God's plan. So like elites, you know, in Europe were using religion as a way to just like keep everyone subdued and not fighting back against oppression because, you know, you can't argue with God, right? As well as keep like create this, uh, this separation, um, between like the poor and the rich 
And um, right mm-hmm. now I'm watching the show called Outlander on Netflix and the main characters go to um, France in the 1700s. And it shows a lot of the, a lot of examples of how the rich people, like the elitists, like are so eager to completely remove themselves from the poor people um, down mm-hmm. to the fact that they don't even want to like see them in the streets, see them in the market or anything like that. And you also see that nowadays, I, I'm not sure, I'm pretty sure it was on TikTok somewhere. Um, but also talking about how this same concept is very much alive right now um, in, in mm-hmm. many, many aspects. So, uh, for example, we can look at religion. So people in religious groups try to completely cut off people that are outside of their religious group by creating churches, creating schools, um, which then creates um, like sports and after school activities and uh, Bible schools and all these different things like a whole entire system like a fucking YMCA of their cults in order to keep their children and their families separated from uh the outside world and you even have towns we've mentioned this town before but St. Mary's Kansas where they completely the fucking grocery store everybody or you could look at uh like in utah like uh i'm not sure like which cities are like the salt salt lake city in utah where it's just the entire city is like conformed to shelter their religion and keep themselves separate from the people around them and to make an even broader picture we can look at uh um, like for example, the Kardashians are, are really, really rich people that live in Calabasas or these extremely expensive and secluded spaces, um, mostly like in Calabasas, California, where the entire town, the entire environment is not at all open for homelessness or poor people or anything like that. And if you, if they see someone that's homeless or they see someone that does not live up to their standard or that could quote unquote scandalize them, they call the cops and get rid of them. And it's almost Mm -hmm. as if, uh, so recently, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. (laughs) Recently there (laughs) was, uh, that, that audio of Kim Kardashian. I don't remember how it goes. She's like, people are so fucking lazy. People just need to work hard and something like that. And, um, and someone duetted it, the, the, the audio and was like, has she ever seen a poor person? Like have these super (laughs) rich people, like look at like super, super rich, like billionaires, like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Bill Gates. Like when was the last time besides going on their special trips to Africa to help the poor children, when have they seen someone that is really struggling and not thought like, ew, gross, get that away from me. Call the police. They're disturbing my peace. I work in criminal law. The amount of people that discriminate homeless people or people outside of their, what they deem as like, like a, like appropriate, like these super rich Mm -hmm. people are uncomfortable by seeing someone that are, that is not super rich. And that's where we see this issue with religion and racism white people were uncomfortable to see black people or people of any other color or skin coat skin skin tone and then you have religious people that are uncomfortable to see anyone else outside of their religion you would know something crazy too so this was also in stamped from the beginning ibram ibram's uh, ibram kendi's book um when there was that whole dilemma going on around are we supposed to christianize the enslaved people there were like I don't even even know what the proper word to call them anymore like the slave owners but like they should be called something much worse now they were struggling because they were afraid that if they baptized the enslaved people then when they died and went to heaven they would have to live in heaven with the enslaved people and they didn't want to see them oh my god which is like 
I know. It's so fucked up. This actually reminds me of a quote that I shared on Facebook like a few days ago. And I, I think I found it on Instagram. It was posted by um, Andre Henry. And it was like a response to him on Twitter uh, by this guy named Carlos Rodriguez. And the quote is, to the privileged, peace means keeping a safe distance from the cries of the oppressed. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, damn, that's deep. And that's why so many people nowadays, like when we had all the protests for Black Lives Matter, people just simply didn't understand why Mm -hmm. black people were upset and why this was an issue because they've never like obviously had not experienced racism towards themselves to to their community of white people or whatever. Um, But they've never really seen it happen to other people. And if they have seen racism happen to other people or police brutality, then immediately their mind just goes, oh, they're ghetto or, oh, they deserved it. Or, you know, some, some sort mm-hmm. of like justification to prove that that's OK, that that happened to them mm-hmm. versus sympathizing. Yeah, we like saw- there's no more sympathy at all. Well, we saw that happening, too, with the Black Lives Matter protests. You know, there were so many white people in my circle that were focusing so much energy and attention on the rioting. They're like, oh, well, look at the riots going on. And it's just like, okay, like if that's what you're focusing, the fact that you're focusing only on that is very and highly problematic Um, There's no context or understanding as to why this is happening. And it's not even like George Floyd was an isolated incident. Like this happens every day on Mm -hmm. the streets in America. There's just only certain, certain murders that get highlighted by the news, but this happens every single day. And I think it's intentional that white people are not aware that this is happening because as you said, it's too uncomfortable. White people want to stay in the safe bubble and, and I, sh- I shouldn't say white people as in like other people because we're all guilty of this. Like I'm guilty of this. We all are. If we're white. But like trying to stay in our safe little white bubble and like we don't want to know what's going on out there. We don't want to hear the cries of the oppressed. So, yeah. Anyway, we totally got off on a tangent there. <laughs> Agnes, why don't we shift into you sharing some of the stuff you found around colonization here in colonial America, as particularly against the Native Americans? So right now I am taking a history class for is the history of the Native Americans. And at first I was um, hesitant on taking this class just because I know like how like how we discussed in the beginning like taking a history class is so uh complex because you don't know what you're learning is true and with the uh exposure of TikTok and I've seen like I most I I have a lot of uh Native American people on my like on like my for you page people that I follow and stuff um that talk about Mm -hmm. things that I've never even learned before like their culture and Uh, what it's like especially even nowadays like to live on a reservation and the injustices towards Native Americans so when I first started this class I was kind of wondering if it was going to be anything real or if it was going to be like one of those whole concepts of like well it's just human nature the powerful are are always going to overcome the weak which is something that I heard all the time whenever I like Thanksgiving would roll around and I'm like actually this was super fucked up and then they're like it's just human nature it happens there's nothing we can do about it well first of all it comes from darwinism (laughs) yeah yeah that comes from like darwinism the survival of the what is it the survival of the fittest like the strong will always (sighs) conquer the weak so just deal with it yeah well it's yeah it's so fucked up i definitely completely disagree with it and again it's like where's the fucking sympathy come on guys um so I when I started the class I actually ended up being very uh I, I liked it I I can tell that within the class and the way that the teacher formatted everything um she was very aware of the social injustices that both are happening now within the indigenous communities but also back then so this kind of took me this week of school has been fucking crazy because of the amount of like slides and shit I had to do and it was miserable but (laughs) 
if you know you know um but I ended up actually coming away with like so much knowledge and that's why I I decided to have this episode because it opened up this whole like the things that I kind of already knew but refreshed my memory about why like what like why did the pilgrims and Europeans treat the Native Americans like this like what was the root cause of this and I say this about everything but it's kind of true it's religion (laughs) Um, because religion is like one of the most powerful forms of uh, uh, tools of war I guess you could say in history Mm -hmm. Um, so I did my from like reading like the my homework and then also doing my own research I started researching like um indigenous practices so the native americans they developed like coherent religious systems uh most of it was like cosmetology so like creation myths and then like you know as we mentioned before like the oral history of everything um and then they also like worshipped the this really reminded me of modern day spirituality so the native americans they like worshipped the earth and like the universe so that's why um like in a lot of the documentaries i saw like you have native americans they would come out and do like special rituals whenever the sun would come up to pray for the sun or when the sun set they'd pray to the stars and to the moon um for abundance and security and safety and health for their communities So as we can see here, the Native Americans have this entire complex like spiritual tradition that has been around for thousands of years since the Native Americans have been on this land. And then we have the pilgrims (laughs) and they come over on their Mayflower. I mean, we obviously there's been a lot of like contact since Christopher Columbus and I'm pretty sure actually before Christopher Columbus, I didn't do homework on that, but yeah. Yeah. There's no, I don't even think he was, he wasn't even the first one to come here. Right. Yeah. He wasn't. I think he was like the first person to like actually like come and like make his presence like super known in America at least. Honestly, I'm not, not a good sure. way. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. He was a yeah. fucking asshole. Um, but hey, he was cat or he was Christian or Catholic or whatever. So he's so great according to religious people. Oh yeah. Let's just murder, rape and pillage in the name of God. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> so um, the pilgrims, they come over in 1620 and when they come over, they kind of have to be best friends with the native Americans because there's only like, there's like less than a hundred people that come off the Mayflower. Mm-hmm. At least I th- I'm pretty sure this is the Mayflower. The whatever. The early pilgrims. They come over and they're starving. They're seasick. They're like dying. They have all these illnesses. They have fucking twigs and rotting food to survive off of. So the Native <laughs> Americans come to their little land. Their little gathering. And they're like hey. Um, don't kill us we won't kill you we can help you because we're curious so they start this like little awkward like relationship where they don't speak each other's languages but they start kind of helping each other and it's kind of working and they kind of form this somewhat healthy relationship this is just based on my research I'm sure people would probably disagree with this but um, they kind of have this thing going on um, and then I'm probably going to butcher all these names, so bear with me. Um, but we have Massasoit, who is the chief of the Wampanoag tribe. And he becomes really good friends with Edward Winslow. So Edward Winslow is a pilgrim, and they become, like, really good friends. And um, Edward Winslow, like, creates a diary where he's, like, writing all this stuff down, which is kind of how we know about, like, early settlement and everything. Um, and they create this relationship and uh, write, the, write out like this contract of like, uh, we're, we're going to be peaceful with each other. So as time goes by, um, I'm a, so Massasoit ends up passing away. Winslow passes away. Time is going by and more people are coming over because people are real, like word gets around that it's that you can survive on American land or what would then be called America Um, because the Native Americans were there and they were going to help them. So more and more people come Mm -hmm. over. So the pilgrims then start building these like little cities and towns or whatever. 
and start bringing pastors and priests or whatever uh, religious leaders over and uh, and as everyone knows, sorry, I'm like jumping all over the place. <laughs> the pilgrims were extremely religious, but when they came, well, yeah, it was like, well, it was like the, the Puritans were coming over, the Christians coming over. And I think also, um, I'm just speaking from, I'm just speaking from like stuff I've heard. I don't know where the sources come from, but, um, I've heard that they were coming over also because they felt that they were being persecuted in right. Britain and they were trying to find like a new land where they could practice their Christian or pure. I think, I think it was particularly the Puritans mm-hmm. um, be able to practice their Puritan religion and peace. So they came over here um, looking for that. And then, you know, obviously had their run in with the native Americans. Yeah. Might continue. Yeah. So they, they're super extremely religious. And at first it's not that much of an issue because they're just at a point where they just need to get through the day and not die. Um, but as more people are coming over and they're starting to establish like, uh, more founding relationships with the native Americans, um, they start to like heavily practice their, their religion and then it starts to create this conflict because then they start noticing like oh the native americans have their own spirituality or their own forms of religion which as i described before was seen as satanic or unholy Mm -hmm. um, or witchcraft by the people in plymouth so, and just for context, most of the people that started coming over, like the early settlers, were Anglicans, Baptists, Catholics, Congregationalists, um, Lutherans, Methodists, Quakers, and some other shit. Um, but they started having like these towns, and they're ha- they're starting to make church. They're building churches and build uh, creating these rules around religion. And this starts to cause conflict because within the towns, everybody's going to church. Everybody's participating in this religion. Well, not the Native Americans because they have their own spirituality that they're participating in. So the lovely people of Plymouth decide to start to attempt to convert the Native Americans to their um, Christianity. So this starts with them uh, forcing them to like if you come to our church and you participate in our religion we will feed you we will give you shelter because at this point the native americans were like being wiped out by illnesses because the the native americans that have all the you know the however many million of native americans on this land they're all familiar with uh, the germs and shit we've got all these nasty europeans coming over with their animals and just like <laughs> <laughs> they are all getting the flu they're all getting smallpox wiping out tribes like tribes are just disappearing and the native americans are desperate they are they're dying out and they have complete the 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 early settlers have completely extracted the native americans of all their resources and now are killing them with their foreign illnesses so out of desperation the native americans are like well fuck like we need your shelter we need your food in order for us to survive the only way for us to do that is to go to church and it wasn't even just going to church it was being full on 100% changing the way that you dress, changing the way that you speak. Most of them changed their names and Mm. completely throwing away their culture to satisfy the people. And I'm mostly uh, basing this like with Plymouth, like the early settlers um, in order for them to survive like through the day. And, Mm -hmm. This is kind of what started with King Philip's war. So King Philip, uh, his name was Metacom. So he was, before I mention, uh, what's his name here? Massasoit. So he was the father. He was the chief. When he passed away, Metacom became the chief. So at this point, he's seeing all here, like here, all of the the tension and especially the religious tension. And if you look up the main... Um, the main causes of King Philip's war, it's extremely diverse. Like they say one thing caused it and another thing caused it, 
but from my perception, a lot of it was around this whole religious issue of um, throwing away their culture and forcing them to submit to European culture in order to survive. So this starts the King Philip's War, which is also known as the First Indian War um, or Medicom's Rebellion, tons of other stuff. And this started in 1675 to 1676. Um, And then kind of it kind of just goes on with history from there. But they at this point, they were already like a very small tribe, so it didn't end very well. And now we can come to forward through history to now and we can look back and we can see how much the Native Americans struggle with their culture. Most of the languages that were spoken by Native Americans, which was numerous languages, they don't even know. Like they don't know the language or they know bits and pieces of the language. Um, We can look at this as well in Hawaii, like the colonization of Hawaii and the them stealing the culture but most of this was based on trying to convert them to Christianity Mm -hmm. yeah it's yeah it's just like yeah and then the rest is history like right. if you I know here like I know like here in Nevada um I live in the land at least for right now until we move but like um this is where the southern Paiutes used to live and like long time ago before the Mormons came and founded Las Vegas you had the southern Paiutes that had a thriving tribe down by Lake Mead by the water today the southern Paiutes live on this tiny tiny reservation that's about right now probably less than 20 miles north of Las Vegas mm-hmm. and there's no water. There's like no resources out there. It's I think less than a hundred people now live on the reservation, very poor. Um, and over the years, as Las Vegas has continued to expand, they have continued to move the reservation over and over. So it's been moved several times. And now I'm worried because Las Vegas is rapidly growing right now. And actually Casey and I went up to the mountains like last week And they are now like building, they have a whole new exit now out there, like further north of Las Vegas. And they're building all these communities. Like within the next few years, we're going to be like hitting hitting the reservation again. And like, so you, as you said, like the Europeans came over, the illnesses wiped out a lot of tribes. And then there was this like mass trying to convert them. Um, and then, you know, them getting murdered for that. And then, then there was the, then there was pushing them further and further west because you know the mm-hmm. Europeans came in. We were colonizing all of like the eastern portion of the United States, pushing all of the Native Americans further and further west. And um, then there was these treaties that were made, but I believe it is. I'm just like googling this right now because I've heard this before. There's been out of all of the treaties that have been negotiated between the Native Americans and the United States. I believe almost every single treaty at this point right now has been broken, if not all of them. Yeah. So every treaty has been broken and broken by the United States. Right. By government. And think about like how dehuman, what's the word? Dehumanizing. Dehumanizing. (laughs) I forgot how to speak. How (laughs) dehumanizing. Oh my God, I can't speak again. Dehumanizing. (laughs) I can't speak. Yes. That is to the Native Americans because... Um, We can look at it like when someone goes to court and they make their promise to, I don't know the words, but (laughs) they like prank their promise that they're not going to lie. And all all this stuff about like having a mutual like contract or swearing to another person that you're going to follow the rules. And that's a uphand your up and yeah, uphold your end of the agreement. Right. And that is like a basic human moral standard that everybody has like implemented in their humanity and today's moral standard like think about like loans at the bank like like I promise like you give me this I promise I will give you this in return Mm -hmm. that is a human to human relation when you have the the, the United States making these treaties with the Native Americans and saying I promise you this and then going and breaking it, it's like, 
I don't even hold the same respect with your entire race than I do with my fucking bank or that I do with this person that this relationship or this business that I have. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we're the ones that came in, took all the land, took over the whole country, wiped out tribes, wiped out their culture, Mm -hmm. you know, and then like made these promises and then broke all of them. (laughs) Right. And we can also look at this as well, like with the Oregon trail, um, our, my mom's side of the family is from Oregon. So we learned a lot about the Oregon trail and that's just like, you know, a lot of people like to say, like, look at that as some great event that happened in history. All these Americans packed up their wagons and their horses and they traveled out to Oregon and this whole thing. And it's like, we were just like reaching at that point, like the amount of land that we had in new England. And we're like, Nope, we need more and just like venture out. And I'm sure I, I haven't done like immense research on that, but I'm sure that had greatly affected the tribes that were, out west and when we came and started pushing the the native americans further west i'm sure that that also caused conflicts between native american tribes because they all had there was there's so much space in america and with all of the i i might be wrong but i think there was like 50 to 100 million native americans on america before europe came um that's not a lot of people at least compared to now. And so they're scattered into all these little tribes and they all have their space. And yes, their space, they're Mm -hmm. not like super territorial about their space, but it's still their land. So when you have tribes that are pushing out there and getting into other tribe space and they're like, Hey, what the fuck? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that probably caused tons of issues as well within the native Americans. And um, another example of uh, the way that it uh, that uh, religious colonization affected, especially like the children of Native Americans, uh, there's the show called Anne with an E. So that's uh, like Anna Green Gables. I, I, I was like oh, obsessed yeah. with that as a kid. Just so you know, the show is actually really good. It doesn't like totally follow the books, but I really like it. It's like a really cute, like uh, historical piece. I really like it. Um, but I think it was like in the second or third season, they give an, give a, like a side story of one of her friends that lived on a Native American reservation in Canada. And she gets sent away to those special schools where they made, oh. you know, told the Native Americans, like, send your kids to our Catholic schools and we'll educate your kids. And they were like basically mm. forced into sending their kids and they would send their kids mm-hmm. and they were forced to speak English uh, they were forced to change their name, forced to wear uh, the clothes of the white people and the culture and pray to Chris- the Christian God. And if they ever made any sort of reference to their Native American culture, they would be whipped, killed, all, all kinds of shit. And then we also have the issue now with all uh, us dis- uh, people discovering all of the graves of the children. <gasps> yes. I was just going to say they have now found at these at these religious uh, European schools where I mean, really, what was happening was like kidnapping. I mean, it was like state state kidnapping, going in, kidnapping these indigenous children, forcing them to go to these schools to wipe out their culture. And then now you're now we found what thousands of graves of these children's bodies from these schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's horrifying. And the fucked up part is that people are still in denial of how fucked up this is because they don't understand. They, they, they don't know how to put themselves, themselves in other people's shoes. So nowadays we have, which, you know, is known as like good parenting, like protecting your child at any sort of level. But then we also have people that are like very extreme about it. Like they don't want their children involved with, you know, going like uh i'm not gonna say this is extreme because to each their own but people that want to protect their children from like vaccines or control from the government or they want to homeschool or unschool their children and like really defy the odds to protect their child based on their beliefs but can you imagine there's a lot of people out there that fear the government forcing things on their children like vaccines and school and mm-hmm. this and that that was happening to the Native Americans. 
every single mm-hmm. day. Can you imagine right now in this day and age, your child that you love so much that you're willing to defy based on your personal beliefs, you're willing to defy what your doctors tell you, what the government tells you, what your teachers tell you, because you believe what's right for your children. And instead they come to your home and they take your child away from you and do all of these things mm-hmm. that you are against. That That is devastating. Yeah. That is inhumane. That you will be forever traumatized if that mm-hmm. happened to you. And then that also plays in the game. I'm just going in circles here. But <laughs> the game of, <laughs> of um, uh, trauma being ancestral trauma. So think right. about like how then that would affect like your offspring if you had like a, a child and how like the trauma that is manifested into that child and so on and so forth. And now when we look at like reservations and people that are deeply or I can't say deeply rooted in Native American culture because that's almost like extinct now, unfortunately. Um, but people that like live on reservations um, are part of that new shit show. Uh, and a lot of them are involved in drugs gangs they're in prison they're in jail i work in criminal defense and the at a law firm and the amount of kids especially men young men that are yeah like going out and breaking laws and like doing stupid shit and getting caught with drugs and uh doing horrible horrible things but look at the way we've treated them like a dog yeah. you can't beat a dog and then expect the dog not to lash back at you and have fucked up issues after that yeah i think that pr- the problem that we have is that we're we have issues like drugs we have you know drugs we have violence we have all these like crimes that happen but we don't recognize that the crimes are actually just the symptom of the deeper problems yes, absolutely. of poverty of homelessness of oppression Um, of ancestral trauma of these horrible crimes against humanity that the Europeans committed against black bodies indigenous bodies when they came to America and colonized you know and then using these like religious beliefs to like justify it Mm -hmm. so it's like I think right now we're like now we're like the intersection of just like everything yeah (laughs) yeah yeah definitely and it also like plays in as well with like capitalism and like how much Mm -hmm. modern day Christianity has manifested themselves into American capitalism Um, and the reason why all these people that want to get pretty for Sunday to go to church and um, devote their lives to Jesus or go on these missionaries or whatever to try to convert or spread the world of Jesus's love whatever bullshit (laughs) Um, they they completely disregard these issues because they're they it's again that same concept of well it happens and the powerful just overcome the weak and it's unfortunate and um, like yeah I drive a, a fancy car and I have all these fancy things and but you know I worked really hard for them and, and like how you're saying before like uh, the uh, brain freeze Oh, like how God, like if you're rich and wealthy enough power, then yes. obviously you're in God's good grace. Yes, yeah. exactly. That That is like how modern day religion thinks. It, it, I mean, since the beginning of, mm-hmm. of elitism, like it's just, it's simply how it is. It's just playing in another form. And we exactly experience it every day, whether we're the ones causing the problem or people are causing the problem towards us, like, like oppression. All right, Agnes, you have anything else to add? I think we packed in a lot of information in this episode. I just have to say, I really hope that uh, what we had to say was not misinformation. I'm like so afraid of that. So honestly, like if anyone said like notices that we said something that is like completely not true based on like their culture and whatnot, like DM us, like let us know, like we will be more than happy to correct ourselves and um, change that but like we said like this is just our basic research this is what we have experienced especially through college and everything exactly 
All right, let's shift into our gratitude prompt. Margaret, what are you grateful for today? Um, ooh, uh-oh, I'm not prepared for this. <laughs> I am grateful for shit, shit, shit. <laughs> I have a light teaching day. <laughs> That's good. That's something. I'm like, what do I have? I have a light teaching day. And also, so Casey and I have like less than two weeks left left in Las Vegas before we move. So I'm finally starting to get like kind of excited about the move. So I'm grateful for that. And I'm also grateful that because we're leaving soon, I can have a lot of like fun social things kind of planned out for the next week and a half with friends and getting out and enjoying Las Vegas for the last time. So that's what I'm grateful for today. Oh, that's awesome. How about you, Agnes? What are you grateful for today? Um, today, I am really excited because uh, Patrick and I, every Saturday, we go to a yoga class at the gym, and we're going to go in a little Ooh. bit, and it's my favorite thing. It's like the, the teacher just like sprays the room with some special crack where <laughs> it's just like the most perfect experience, <laughs> and uh, Patrick and I have really gotten to yoga lately, and it's been like the best bonding experience for us, and like a new way for me to like move my body besides like lifting weights and doing my usual stuff at the gym. So I'm very grateful for yoga and super excited for our yoga class today. Very nice. We believe in the power of taking even one minute a day to breathe and find gratitude in the little things. Wherever you are, if you are able, close your eyes, take a deep breath in and out and reflect on something that you are grateful for today. We are so honored that you could join us in this discussion today, and we hope you have a beautiful week. If you enjoyed today's Unrefined Woman podcast episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. To check out other episodes, please visit our website at unrefinedwoman.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. To stay in the loop and receive access to additional content, please follow us on TikTok, username unrefinedwoman, and on Instagram at unrefinedwomanpodcast. Special thanks to Walter Birdsong for the album cover, Margaret Rainey for our podcast music, Andrew Cioni for our gratitude prompt music, and Sean Butcher for editing and production. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Microphone. Yes. Okay. All right. Do you know who? Okay. Do you know who Dakota oh, Johnson ahead. is? Yes, I know you're obsessed with her. <laughs> so she <laughs> is just the best person ever. I, I'm convinced that we're soulmates. Anyways, she has like a Spotify. It's called like Tea Time something. And I found it. And every month she makes like a mix. So I'm obsessed because I feel like we're like best friends because I get to listen to her playlist. <laughs> like this is adult <laughs> celebrity crush. <laughs> Anyways. Oh my gosh. Wow. I, I think that you that talking about Dakota Johnson. I think you talking about Dakota Johnson was just the start of our episode. Hi, no. everybody. <laughs> oh my God. I was nice. I was, I was like super personal, Margaret. <laughs> okay. No, you put it on Instagram last night. It's I not did. that personal. Okay. This is so yeah. off topic. I have a Pinterest board called Girl Crush. Just so anyone knows, I am bisexual, so I love females. They're the best thing to happen to the world. And it's called Girl Crush. <laughs> and I've got like quite I've got a few people in there. I've got like AOC. I've got some other people, but most of it is Dakota Johnson. Mostly Just as well for like um her like outfit aesthetic. I don't know. I love her.
<laughs> does Patrick know about this Pinterest board? Uh, he's so sick of me talking about her. He knows. <laughs> he knows my undying love. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Anyways. Okay. But do, would you, do you want to like go first? Like you tell the story? It doesn't matter. I don't know. What, what do you, do you want to go first? Mm-hmm. You go first. You want me to go first? Sorry, you totally froze for a few yeah. minutes. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Did I you freeze? You go first. Okay. No, not yet. Okay. <laughs> Are you frozen or are you no, just sitting no, here quietly? No, I'm just sitting here quietly. Just jump into it. Jump into what you had to say. Okay. All right. Let's clap because yeah. I was like confused. No, you're good. Sorry. <laughs> have brain freeze (laughs) wait it's gonna come to me hold on (laughs) that's fine we'll just clap when you're ready okay i can't remember this is so embarrassing (laughs) (laughs) was there something you were gonna say specifically something i was gonna say oh my god uh, I don't know. It was about research. Was it about? Oh, okay, 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, let's, let's clap. clap. <laughs> <laughs>